starting at verse 1, and it's found on page 1219 in the Church Bibles, just in the bottom right-hand corner. 1219. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you may bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's households. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tom. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for this powerful message from Peter. And we pray, Lord, that it hit home for us this evening as we spend time in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are in our fourth part of our series on 1 Peter, where we're growing in different ways, and this evening we're going to be uh, growing in suffering. And as we start with this idea of suffering, it just takes my mind back to a place I was exactly seven days ago in Spain, 
you see there's some crazy men from this congregation and myself who decided that we would take a plane across to Porto in Portugal, take the train from Porto all the way up to the Portuguese-Spanish border, and then we'd somehow, at a running pace, cover over 120 kilometers in the space of less than 72 hours from that bridge that goes over the river, whose name I can't remember, uh, and all the way up to Santiago de Compostela. And it started off so well. The first day, 22 kilometers, started at 3.30 in the afternoon. We boshed them out. Uh, you know, we're downing a, a beer in the evening. Not downing, we're drinking a beer in the evening and, and, and absolutely stoked about life. Uh, the second day was great as well, especially, and I've got to admit this because Will Holmes, who's an absolute superman, was hobbling at the end of the day, whereas I still had a um, spring in my step and we went out for a pizza and it was all rosy again. And then came the third day. And that was the one where things really went downhill for me. Uh, by the time we hit 95 kilometers, we're drawing into Padron, uh, the final stop before uh, Santiago de Compostela. My right knee started to experience a severe amount of pain. And I was struggling. Carried on running, though, and I managed to get in. We booked into our hostel, and uh, I spent some time uh, sitting in the front of a monastery overlooking this old city, of Padron, knowing that I had 26 kilometers to go to get to Santiago de Compostela, and I was desperate to do it on foot at a running pace, but feeling in my knee that that wasn't going to be possible. And the book that we had read alongside Acts, in fact, was John Wimber's book on power evangelism. Uh, John Wimber speaks about how when Jesus reached out with the good news of the kingdom, he did so in word, but as well as deed and power. And so people got healed around him to authenticate that he was doing what the Father had called him to do. And so reading through this in different worldviews, I thought, who am I kidding? I shouldn't be sitting here reading this book when I can limp or hobble up those steps in the youth hostel to where Will Holmes and Robin Hawkins are and ask my brothers in Christ to pray for my knee. So that's what I did. I had to keep this right knee straight and I somehow managed to hobble up the stairs and I said, lads, would you mind praying for my knee? Of course, they said they're up for it and with people snoring around and uh, smiling, um, maybe looking at what was going on, these two lads put their hands on my knee and they prayed for me. The most incredible thing happened, I've got to say, is that the pain went away and I was able to walk normally after that. And rather than hobbling down the stairs to the single bathroom, I was able to walk normally down the stairs. But the one thing that I couldn't do the next morning, try as I might, was run. I was going to finish on foot, but every time I tried to run, my knee got worse and worse and worse. And so I said, Robin and Will, you run ahead. And I'm going to walk fast and try and keep up with you. And off they went. And you know what? My pride took a massive hit. And my sense of achievement, I absolutely love running. And I had my heart set on running the whole 121 Ks. And it just wasn't going to happen. 
And I felt awful about it. I felt like I had failed, well and truly. And I said to the Lord, Lord, how can I glorify you in this suffering, in this pain that I'm feeling at the moment? Not just in my knee, uh, but in here as well. And my mind drifted across to this particular Sunday where I knew that I was going to be speaking on growing in suffering. And so I whipped open my Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4 and started scouring the verses, reading through it over and over and over again. I wanted to look for something that would apply to the suffering that I was going through at that particular time. But you know what I found that applied to me in that particular time from this passage? Nothing. Because this passage isn't about suffering in general. It's not a theodicy passage. It's not about why bad things happen to good people. Uh, Applied to the Camino, it might be why bad things happen to mad people. Uh, It isn't about that either. This passage is about, and the the whole letter that Peter writes, is about how we're meant to live for God. And as other people see Christ in us in our living, they start to ask questions. And you know what? They start to ask questions of Jesus. And what happened when Jesus preached the good news in his day? Well, some people were drawn to him. Jesus is like Marmite. Some people were drawn to him. They, they like him. And some people were repelled by him. Another analogy is the magnet. The magnet attracts or it repels, depending what sort of magnet it comes into contact with. And we see exactly the same in Jesus. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, we're told uh, by Jesus, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And you know what? We see that even in this church. I was chatting to someone this week who said that her family thought she was absolutely bonkers as a result of her love for Jesus and her focus on him. Jesus is like a magnet. And we have Jesus, that magnet, in us And so we, as we live out our lives, will either repel or attract as people see Jesus in us. And it's amazing uh, when we find people being attracted to us. Peter tells uh, his readers, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let them see those good deeds and be attracted to you. And he says, when people are attracted to you, be ready to speak about the hope that you have in Jesus. Again, uh, chapter 3 of the same letter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Not bashing people on the head. Do it with gentleness 
and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And isn't it a joy when people are attracted and have that attractiveness in them? Uh, back in the day when we were still in Oxford, MJ and I, with our church and our home group, in fact, ran an alpha course in Summertown in a coffee shop. And there's this particular chap called Phil who came into the alpha course. He was a policeman. He was a gigantic man. Uh, you know, he had Phil a doorway. And uh, he, he's the kind of guy who would never, ever be able to be a mounted policeman because he had just squashed the horse. Uh, or he'd have to have one of those gigantic horses that can sort of straddle Buckingham Palace. Uh, but that is Phil the policeman, your cartoon policeman. And he came to week one, to week two, week, to week three, just soaking in what he was hearing. And then he hit week four. And he said, you know what? I've heard enough. I agree wholeheartedly with what I've heard here. And I want to give my life to Jesus. And that magnet of Christ came into Phil's life and changed his life. So a couple of weeks later, when he went off to Norfolk, uh, where his ex-wife was living with their daughter, uh, his ex-wife said to him, Phil, there's something that's different about you. Are you in love? And nothing could stop Phil in saying, yes, I am in love. In fact, I'm in love with a man. I'm in love with Jesus. Uh, which he told us with a massive smile on his face uh, the next Wednesday. Jesus is like a magnet living in us. By God's grace, I experienced the same with one of my sisters who gave her life to the Lord on an Alpha course as well, in fact, and said she saw the change in, in me, literally by God's grace. She saw the change in me, and she gave her life to the Lord. It's such a joy when people are attracted to Christ in us. But also, it's rough, it's really rough when they're repelled by Christ in us. And when our magnet is powerful and doing its work, we should expect the repulsion as well as the attraction. And if people aren't repelled by us at times, then it means that that magnet isn't working. And Peter here is writing to people who have experienced that who are suffering as a result of repulsion. And he says in his first chapter, verse 6, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And that's because exactly that. And in his chapter 4 here, he writes to the people who are suffering in that way, suffering for Christ and being a witness for him. And he gives them what I can see as, as five different tips on how to go through this kind of suffering. So here's the first one. comes from uh, verse 1. I've got to say, these points will get shorter and shorter, but they they, they start off just so good and they get better. Um, So verse 1 in chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires, but rather... For the will of God. So point one, arm yourself with Christ. As Peter starts talking about suffering, he can't go anywhere first other than Gethsemane and the cross. 
that's what hits home to him. And he's already gone there, in fact, in chapter 3, which on that page you still got open, verse 17 and 18, where he said, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, for the the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter thinks back to that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, where his friend and his Lord, Jesus, was on his knees, praying out loud to the Father. And he was praying, Lord, let this cup be taken from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Again and again and again. And Peter, who's writing this letter, was a witness to those words spoken by Jesus. And as Peter thinks about suffering, he goes there. And he goes to sin. And he goes to the fact that Jesus when he suffered in his body, put an end to our sin and reconciled us with the Father. And therefore, as we go through suffering and suffering for Christ, we can know that we are safe in our relationship that has been reconciled on that cross. And I love this as a starting point because we get to the point where where we're able to do... Um, have you come across a risk register? Risk registers out in the corporate world. Risk registers are apparently when we find out all the serious risks uh, that we could be exposed to and, and the harmful effects, how serious they could be, and then we learn how to mitigate against them. It's an important exercise. But in a, a risk register as a Christian we can start off by saying, if everything else falls around us, we are safe in our relationship with Christ that has been secured on that cross. And it also takes us to that being the first point of reference. The most important thing that no one can take away is our relationship with the Lord. But then it also points to the second most important thing, which is encouraging others in their relationships with the Lord and those being secure. And in fact, the the apostles lost almost everything. And Paul's talking about imprisonment here. They lost almost everything, but they knew that those relationships were secure and those relationships that they'd helped develop for other people with God were secure. So he says, he says, he says exactly that. He points towards the cross. And then he, he also points towards, in, in the will of God, points towards us doing the will of God. Because you see, there's this interesting thing in the New Testament. As you, as you read through Acts quickly, you'll find that the apostles sometimes leave a city where they're persecuted. Uh, Paul uh, leaves Philippi after getting released from from jail. Uh, He walks away after he's been stoned and left for dead. 
Sometimes he leaves these places of suffering. And there are other times, and especially as he heads towards Jerusalem and he knows what suffering is going to come towards him, he goes deliberately towards the suffering. In fact, Jesus did the same. Jesus knew the suffering that was coming at him as he approached Jerusalem, but went deliberately. And so one of the questions we need to ask is, is why are there these differences? Why sometimes should we walk away from suffering? And why sometimes should we walk towards suffering? And the answer has to be something to do uh, with the will of God. And it comes up here at the end, um, doing the will of God. So as you experience suffering, in fact, as you experience uh, people being attracted to God, as you experience uh, the whole realm uh, of, of relationships with others. And um, you, you should be asking this question, Lord, do you want me to stay where you've called me or do you want me to go? And maybe even every year ask that question. Just because God has put you in a place doesn't mean he wants you to stay in that place forever. So that is uh, verses 1 and 2. Arm yourself with Christ. Uh, here's verses 3 to 7. Beware of sin, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised you don't join in with their reckless, wild living, and heap abuse on you. When we go through suffering as Christians, suffering for Christ, there will be a temptation in us to move down that easier route, the route that our bodies, our desires, our lusts want to take. And Israel, in fact, found exactly the same as they left Egypt and found themselves in the desert and suffering and hardship. They started grumbling immediately and said, Moses, why did you take us out of this place? as we find people repelled by Christ in us, we'll be tempted to go back into sin. And so as you suffer for Christ, Peter wants to say to you, brothers and sisters, beware of sin. He speaks of a judgment to come, and that's going to come later. But in verse 7, he speaks about one of the results of giving into temptation. And that is, he says, we won't be able to pray. So as we live for Christ, as we resist sin, we need to know that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, he says, and of sober mind, so that you might pray. Be in that place always to be able to pray. Here's the third one, uh, verses 8 to 11. Love each other. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Love each other. As we suffer, as people are repelled by Christ in us, we need to stick together. 
and we stick together by loving each other. And love in the Bible looks very practical. It looks like hospitality. It looks like encouraging each other in the word. It looks like serving each other. It looks like those words of affirmation. Love each other practically. And the result of the love that we have for each other is that when we upset and irritate each other, when we sin against each other, we'll forget those small wrinkles in the relationship because we'll know the true love that we have for each other, that those wrinkles are covered by the love. And I've got to say, you're amazing at at overlooking my my wrinkles. Um, But also, I want to say to you guys again, I've just found over these last three years, my love for all of you has grown so much. It's been such a joy to spend time in all your lives, to see how you're growing in Christ, how you're going from strength to strength, how you're sharing Christ together. Are you encouraging each other in faith? Are you praying together? Are you putting each other first? Are you haven't stopped meeting together? I I just absolutely love the love in this community. And I've got to say, wherever I go, when I speak to people uh, who aren't in St. Michael's, who don't yet know the Lord, I say to them, come and see what love looks like. Come and see what a loving community looks like. Come to St. Michael's. There is great love here. And I love you very much. Here's number four. uh, Verses 12 to 18. Do not be surprised. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when the magnet of Christ in you repels some people. That is what magnets do and that is what Christ does. He is divisive. The gospel is divisive. If some people aren't repelled by you, then something is wrong in your life. That magnet isn't powerful enough, it hasn't been exposed enough, it's being covered up by stuff. We should be repelling some people. Back in the day, I remember a rugby match where I was in a ruck and this other guy tore my scrum cap off my face and and I, I, I came out of this ruck when play stopped. I think there's a penalty for some reason absolutely fuming at this guy who had done this to me and I remember complaining to my teams like what is going on with this guy what is the story what is what is his plan I was fuming and Richard Lemke said to me guy get a grip this is rugby (laughs) this is what happens in rugby people tear your scrum caps off your face Brothers and sisters, this is what happens as we're brothers and sisters in Christ who live out our lives for him. People will be repelled by us. 
and Christ in us. And we are not to be surprised by that. Here's the final verse, verse 19. And in fact, it's a summary of the whole letter that Peter has written. He says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Throughout this whole letter, Peter has said uh, to these churches who he's writing to, live out good lives among those around you. So that they start asking questions about the hope that is in you that isn't in them. And then as they ask those questions, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to point them to Jesus. Share Jesus with them. And you know what? As you share Jesus with them, some of them are going to come to faith and into a relationship with him. That's how the church is built up. And God, working inside them, will add to the number of those being saved. It is a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous thing. And some of them will be repelled by Christ in you. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, remember to arm yourself with Christ. Remember to beware of sin. Remember to love each other. Don't be surprised. And carry on going. Carry on going for Jesus. Let's pray.